Hello there, everyone, and welcome to the Growing Point Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Boychin. Our goal with this podcast is simple, to provide Alberta farmers and agronomists with timely, relevant, and valuable agronomic knowledge through interviews with experts in various fields of agriculture. We hope that the information from this and future podcasts brings value to you and your farm. So in this episode, we're speaking with Dr. Megan Vankowski. Uh, she is with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And Vankowski works as a research scientist in the field of, of crop entomology. So in short, she researches the relationships between crops and insects. And in this podcast, we chat about the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network, or PPMN in short. Uh, the PPMN is an information network that's developed by, a, by numerous field crops, crop entomologists uh, who conduct research and actively monitor insects and pests to help support crop protection in the Canadian prairies. Um, it includes researchers from Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, Manitoba Agriculture, Saskatchewan Agriculture, and Alberta Agriculture and Forestry, as well as university researchers. So a lot of people uh, putting a lot of effort into this uh, project. Um, the PPMN is a wealth of information and really a must-have when it comes to tools for making crop protection decisions on your farms in Western Canada. Um, I use this all the time. It's something that I have saved on my links uh, in, in, in my computer. Um, and if you're an agronomist and you don't have it as part of, of something that you regularly check in season, um, I would say it's, it's something to add to the list of something to use. But, uh, before I get too far into it, I'd say let's, let's get at it and, and let's get to the conversation with Megan. Okay, good morning, Megan. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me this morning. Good morning, Jeremy. Thanks for the invitation. So you work with AAFC Canada out of Saskatoon. Um, could you give us an idea of what you do there and, and what you're involved in? Of course. Um, yeah, so I'm located in Saskatoon and I work with um, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Um, in my position, I'm a field crop entomologist. So that means that I'm interested in researching the impact of in insect pests on field crops and the impact of beneficial insects on the pests of field crops. And I focus mostly on pulse crops and canola crops and dab a little a little bit in some of the cereal crops. It, it, it seems like um, beneficial insects has really kind of increased in, in, in interest recently. Is that is that something you've seen? Definitely. Um, I've always been interested in biological control and, and the impact of predators and parasitoids on uh, pests. Um, I was actually called a hippie when I took classes in agriculture about pest management because I was most interested in biological control compared to other types of pest control. And yeah, it's something that across the prairies, we, we've definitely seen um, some growing interest in beneficial insects. I think the Field Heroes campaign has really helped with that to uh, bring insects like beneficial insects to the attention of, of all kinds of people who are um, interested in that campaign. 
Um, but just with the changes that we're starting to see in chemical availability and the um, efficacy of those chemicals, whether they're working or not, um, we're looking to see what else we can use to control insect pests and beneficial insects are one of those things that are gaining more attention. Is there anything that's that you've been working on on the research side that looks like it has a lot of potential or are we still um, kind of far away from, from anything that, that could potentially replace chemicals? Everything that I'm working on is fairly preliminary um, at this point. Um, for example, I've got a project where we're looking to see what kind of uh, predators, uh, crab beetles and, and other beetles on the ground might be impacting pea leaf weevil populations. But uh, while we have a good idea of what those predator communities are, we really don't know what their impact is on those pests. So it's uh, still pretty early, but all of the all of the interest is really encouraging and it, it helps us to be able to do projects that could lead to some really important uh, revelations. Yeah, I, I, revelations. I, I think uh, producers are, are interested in it if they can if they can step away from utilizing insecticides. I think uh, um, a lot of them are excited to see what might come. But that that's not what we're talking about today. I just <laughs> it's something that excites me too. So I couldn't help but ask a few questions. Um, but what we are talking about is the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network. Um, so I'm I'm, I'm just curious um, and and maybe to kind of give uh, an overview for, for those who haven't heard of it. Um, what is the, the Prairie Press Monitoring Network? What's, what's the basics of it? Um, and maybe who's involved? Sure. Um, so the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network is a program on the prairies that's over 20 years old. Um, it was started initially by Dr. Owen Olfert, who is uh, a retired scientist now. He's uh, located here in Saskatoon, uh, just down the hall from me. Um, in the mid-90s, we were dealing with an, a number of new invasive pests on the prairies that were having a lot of impact on field crops all of a sudden. And we were also dealing with a lot of um, species that were known and had been problems for a long time, things like grasshoppers and birth armyworms, for example. Um, but also at that time, when we were dealing with all of these different pest issues, we were also dealing with issues where we were seeing that there were fewer entomologists on the prairies. And so recognizing that there was kind of a, a decrease in expertise, but an increase in need, uh, Owen kind of brought the community together and they talked about ways that we could help each other out across the prairies to try to deal better with these insect pests. And one of the most important things in deciding how to deal with an insect pest in a crop is to know if it's there or not and what the risk is. So what this group of people did um, was they united the protocols that we use. So now we use the same monitoring protocols for our key pests across all three prairie provinces. And it just became a community um, led by Ag Canada um, and by Owen to conduct monitoring activities across the prairies every year for five to seven different key pests, depending on um, what was of interest and what was consistently causing crop problems. And then to also look forward and see how we could try to forecast uh, 
test risk between years, and then, of course, how to communicate that information to the people who needed to know. So the growers and agronomists and um, commissions, all of those different stakeholders that were interested in what was happening. So over the course of 20 years, and now a few more, uh, the group has evolved into our modern prairie pest monitoring network. We use a blog and Twitter to communicate our information. And uh, basically, it's a very collaborative group. So it's been traditionally led by Ag Canada. I'm now the chair since Owen has retired. I work very closely with my co-chair, Jennifer Otani, with Ag Canada in Beaver Lodge. And then we work very closely with the provincial entomologists in Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan, and also collaborate with um, academic researchers, with uh, agronomists, anyone who's kind of interested in figuring out what is the risk of insect outbreaks between years. I mean, this this sounds like a very prairie-wide um, uh, um, thing that happens that, that benefits all producers across the prairies. Is is who is involved um, on the stakeholder side? Who is who is kind of pushing this? Along? So we've been we've been very lucky in that one of the one of the big issues that um, researchers in encounter on a regular basis is how to fund their research and funding a project for over 20 years um, is really quite unheard of anymore. It used to be quite common that projects would get funded for five, seven, ten years. Um, that's not really the case anymore. And luckily, though, we've been very well supported. So the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network um, is currently funded by the Integrated Crop Agronomy Cluster, which is led by the Western Grains Research Foundation, but also has uh, a number of other uh, industry commission groups that have contributed funds to the cluster. Um, in the previous five years, we were supported by a... Uh, of, oh, What's the word here? Um, in previous years, we were supported by a conglomeration, basically, of different industry groups across the three provinces, Manitoba Canola Growers, Sask Canola, um, Sask Pulse, Alberta Pulse, all of the those different groups, of course, um, Alberta Wheat and Barley to certain extents, have all contributed funding um, at, at some time across the, the 20 years. Um, so we've had a lot of support from industry in order to keep this going, to keep the information flowing out to the people who need it. So you, you kind of mentioned before about monitoring protocols and kind of aligning that um, between all the different parties. What Could you give us an example of maybe what a monitoring protocol looks like and, and maybe how that's used to, to collect data that, that eventually goes into this system? For sure. Um, so in the network, we focus our efforts on an annual basis on a, on a list of pests. So we're out to monitor for cabbage seed pod weevil, pea leaf weevil, wheat stem sawfly, wheat midge, grasshoppers, diamondback moth, and birth armyworm. Those are kind of the, the key list of insects that we're most interested in year to year. And we also have added a few and taken a few out over time. Um, Swede midge, for example, it's something that we don't currently have on the prairies, but we still put pheromone traps out for it every year just to make sure we detect it early if it does get here. The protocols that we use, I mentioned, are harmonized across the provinces so that all of the people who are out conducting 
any data collection that comes into the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network that contributes to risk maps or forecast maps or distribution maps, we're all using the same methods. And all of those protocols are currently available on our blog and will be available on our website in the near future because we are moving from a website or from a blog format to a website format. The protocol is basically a um, online text file with uh, pictures and other information that lays out how to go about monitoring for a specific insect. And they're done in such a way that growers can use them to figure out if there's a risk on their particular farm, as well as so that researchers and the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network can use them to get an idea of what's going on across the prairies. So basically, the protocols that we use to monitor pests across the prairies are the same protocols that we encourage growers to use or agronomists to use when they're trying to decide if they should use a chemical insecticide or not. Um, they're pretty straightforward, um, got lots of pictures, uh, some basic information about the pest, what the pest looks like, um, other basic biology about the pest so that you know where to find it at different times of year. Um, an example uh, is the cabbage seed pod weevil survey where we encourage people to take a certain number of sweeps at multiple locations across their field and then count the number of weevils in the sweep, calculate how many weevils you have per sweep across the field, and then that number of weevils per sweep is related to the economic threshold um, for spraying for cabbage seed pod weevil. So so these protocols that, that producers or agronomists could pick up and do um, they're they're the same as what you guys would be doing to to collect data for the prairie pest monitoring network but would that then be the same as what a producer would use in the field to determine their thresholds for spraying or would these be different protocols from that as much as possible they are the protocols that should be used when you're deciding to spray or not. And, and we wanted to keep them as similar as possible for that reason. We don't want to, we want the, the data that we're collecting to give an idea about what the risk is. And the best way of kind of deciding what that risk is is to compare to the economic threshold. So the, the protocol that we use and, and the protocol that we recommend that people use to monitor in their own fields, those are going to give you an idea of how your pest levels compare to the economic threshold wherever possible, because not every insect pest that we deal with on the prairies has a really good economic threshold. When when you're collecting data, um, is this is this prairie-wide that the data points are coming in from? How many data points are we looking at? Like, is this is this a, a kind of a vast network of data coming in, or is maybe there are five locations across Alberta or five across Saskatchewan? Like, how, how big does this data set look like? Well, it's, it's pretty substantial, and a lot of different people um, contribute to that. And I, we have a list of all of the people who contribute. It's huge. I could never go through it. Um, in this particular setting because it would take forever but there's a just let's say that there are a lot of really excellent contributors to our data set and so for that list of insects that i kind of laid out we get about five to six thousand data points across the prairies for those seven key pests so that's um 
so some of those data points are pheromone traps for diamondback moth or birth armyworm. Some of those data points are fields where um, sweeps were taken for cabbage seed pod weevil. Some are where we've gone out and done a damage assessment on field peas for pea leaf weevil. But every year we have about, yeah, in the range of five to 6,000 data points across Manitoba, Alberta, and Saskatchewan that we all bring, that we bring all together to build the maps that we build. It's a lot of data coming in, which is why I say I could never list off all of the people who contribute most. Um, but in Alberta, um, we collaborate very closely with the provincial entomologist Scott Mears and his technician Shelley Barkley, and then they have a network with the egg fieldmen in Alberta, with the growers in Alberta. In Saskatchewan, it's similar. We work with the um, Ministry of Agriculture, with um, Dr. James Tansey, who's the provincial entomologist, and with Carter Peru, who is uh, part of his group there with the ministry, and they help to coordinate and conduct surveys in, in Saskatchewan. In Alberta, we work with John Gavlowski, who is the provincial um, entomologist in Manitoba, and so he's collecting data and sending it in. Um, so we focus first on, the pro on each province, so the province puts out their information, um, puts out a map specific to that, that province, and then all of the provincial data comes into us, and, and then we, um, the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network, releases regional maps to show the picture of what's happening across the entire prairie. So this this all kind of um, comes together to to help distribute weekly updates. Um, among other things, it's it's to help provide weekly update updates to anyone who's signed on to the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network and getting those weekly updates. So if I'm a I'm a producer, I'm an, I'm an agronomist, and I'm signing up for this for the first time. What what can I expect to see in those in season updates? Right. So yeah, that's the weekly updates that we produce are, are pretty important, um, or at least we think so. Um, subscribers to the blog and to the website in the future will get a notice about the weekly update. The weekly update contains a synopsis of the weather uh, across the prairies up to that week. So we collaborate with Environment Canada, Environment and Climate Change Canada to get weather data um, from across the prairies. So we have a summary of precipitation levels or um, average daily temperatures. So we have that information. We use that weather information to run models that um, show us how insect development is being affected by weather. So um, what, we, what we do is um, those models are used to estimate what growth stage or what insect or what, sorry. Um, so those models are used to predict what particular stage an insect is at at a given time. Some stages are more damaging than others, so that can help to guide when we should be out to scout. So the weekly update has those weather synopses, um, predictive models so that we know approximately what growth stage certain insects might be at, and then just other basic information about what's going on across the prairies. If we're starting to see high levels of Bertha armyworm in traps in a certain place in Manitoba, then that information um, has gone out on the Manitoba website, but we also link to it so that other people maybe on in Saskatchewan but close to the Manitoba border can be aware of what's coming. 
So it's a, a summary of what's kind of happened with insect populations to that date and some idea of what to look for in the coming few days. So if I'm if I'm looking through this weekly update every week, I'm really getting an idea of where where the progress is and, and whether we're headed towards a potential concern or not. Yeah, it's to serve as, as a bit of a, this is what to watch out for, or this is where you might want to be looking for grasshoppers today. Um, it's as timely as, as we can be at this point with our restraints on, on people and the fact that we're spending a lot of time out in the field at that same time. But the idea is just to provide as much basic information we can about the potential risks and then to remind people of scouting protocols and where to go to get more information about the insects that are maybe a problem right now. All right, we're going to pause here and go to a quick commercial break, but we will be right back. Interested in enhancing your grain grading knowledge? Alberta Barley, Alberta Canola, Alberta Pulse Growers, and the Alberta Wheat Commission are hosting Making the Grade, a hands-on grain grading day for farmers. Join us on February 19th at the Grand Prairie Regional College. Learn from experts about the many grading factors for grains, oil seeds, and pulses, such as falling number, chitting, pod shatter, and more. See the complete lineup of experts on our agenda and register for Making the Grade today by visiting the events page on albertawheat.com or albertabarley.com. See you there. I, I, I have to say I, I signed up for it a few years ago and it's something that I have consistently read since signing up because the information there for me um, in, in understanding where the challenges may be in the future and kind of aligning those with, with maybe um, insect forecast maps that came out during the winter, it really, it really helps um, you kind of gauge where the, where the challenge, challenges might come in the future. So from my perspective, I've, I've gained a lot of value from this. So um, outside of of these weekly updates, there is actually a plethora of information on on your blog and and your future website as well. What else what else might uh, someone find if they're they're kind of poking through there outside of the weekly updates? Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that you use the weekly updates. Uh, um, We put a lot of work into putting them out every week and it's a lot of time and effort. So that's great to hear. And I hope that's the same across the board. Um, Also on the website, Uh, Well, we feature an insect of the week during the growing season. So um, every year we kind of figure out a theme, um, beneficial insects or certain types of pests and try to get out more information that might be interesting. It might be really relevant to what's going on at the moment, but it also might just be these are potentially invasive pests of Canada that we should be on the lookout for. So every week we have a little article that comes out that features something that we try to be different from year to year and not repeat, but we're starting to get to the point where we're running out of options. So if anyone has any ideas for Insect of the Week themes, uh, we'd certainly appreciate to hear from you. Um, We also have, of course, the monitoring protocols. We have um, a page that talks about wind trajectories. Uh, Wind trajectories are important because some of the pests that we deal with are migratory, and um, we believe that that they use these winds from the United States and Mexico to travel up into Canada. So we keep an eye out for what's going on and and try to use that to predict where diamondback moth might be an out might outbreak first things like that Um, we also just try to have some really basic information available there about what the 
biology of certain pests are and uh, information about their beneficial insects. Uh, of course, there's information about us, so information about who's participating in the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network, um, where we're getting our funding from, all of that information is available under the different tabs on the blog. And I'm certainly not listing all of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm just you, talking about wind trajectories. And I know outside of, of insect pests, um, there's a few diseases that, that um, come up on those pathways as well. Is that information that's also provided on this? Yeah, actually, um, that's a good point. Um, our colleague, Kelly Turkington, is currently working to try to develop a similar network for pathologists across the prairies. And and uh, in the past year or so, because we already have the communication tools with the blog and, and our Twitter feeds, we've been supporting the development of the Prairie Crop Disease Monitoring Network. And so we've been posting about how wind trajectories might be affecting cereal rust populations and, and other pathogens that are moved on on winds and, and, and that are related to different weather events. So I think that's something that will probably be continuing uh, into 2020, although Kelly and I have to discuss that a little bit more. This is a lot of information um, coming in in these, in these weekly updates, and, and I'm just I'm thinking as a producer, as an agronomist, um, if I'm receiving this information, how am I using it to maybe um, make a decision on my farm? Um, how, do, how do I maybe best approach this, um, this information to utilize it to protect my crops? That's a really great question. Um, so first, I, I guess what I would just say is my experience has mostly been from the research side. So I'm generating and sharing this information. I'm not necessarily using it. Um, so, of course, everyone might be looking at this a little bit differently. Um, I guess my first suggestion would be look at our annual risk and forecast and distribution maps. So they should be coming out shortly here in the next few weeks. Um, the provinces themselves have already put out maps um, of what happened in Saskatchewan, for example, for grasshoppers in, in 2019 and kind of what to look for in 2020. Using those is probably a really good start. Um, focus in on what you're growing and what were the populations like in 2019. Often that's a, quite a good guide for what could be coming in 2020. Although there are always circumstances that kind of throw everything off. Um, weather can change or depending on how the season wound up, we might actually end up with more or less uh, risk than what those maps might be indicating. The maps are also very regional, so you can kind of look at your RM or your county, but just keep in mind that what's happening on your specific field can be very different from what is happening regionally, just with different microclimates and habitats and things like that. But use those as a general idea of what could be a risk going into the season and then it's just important to spend time in the field to scout fairly often and and keep an eye out for those major risks when you're looking for information then focus in on the information specific to what you're growing and where you think the risk is largest but again keep in mind that 
things can change, um, and scouting is just really important to know what that risk might be. Once you know what that risk is, there's lots of information available online to help. So it sounds like a, a really maybe targeted approach when you're receiving this information is going to be beneficial. So if you maybe have the top four things that you're concerned about with your crops because you know your area is maybe a little bit more sensitive when it comes to wheat midge or, or, or grasshopper or Bertha armyworm, um, then having those kind of listed down as you're getting into that information can really help target um, pulling this information and, and having it as being practical uh, for moving forward? I think so. Again, I'm, I'm more of a researcher. Uh, I've never grown a field crop or uh, like I grew up on a farm, but we were a beef farm. So quite different. But yeah, it's information overload can, can be a huge problem. So having a really strong idea of what the biggest risks are for you and uh, what you're most concerned with can really help to narrow down what you're looking for and not get overwhelmed by all of the other things that could be having an impact. Yeah, and I just I, I think I want to step back to that that uh, comment regarding regionality. I mean, we're working with a very complex system. Um, it's not it's not simple. There's a lot of factors that that are going to affect um, the distribution of those insects, even within a region or within a field. Um, so it's it, it is a risk map, but it's not a an exact. Um, kind of detailed this is where this is going to be this is where this is going to be it's it's more of a this this area has higher risk or lower risk or this is where we're, we're um, based on the data we're, we're expecting the populations or the um, the progress of, of growth to be of this insect so I think that's a very good point for producers to take home is um, even though maybe it looks like it, it may be um, less of a challenge or more of a challenge of your region um, it's important to know that uh, it's not specific for your fields. It's, it's more of a regional look. So I think I just, I wanted to drive that home a little bit. Um, I, I agree with you completely. It's, it's a really good point. Um, and we try to put that as a disclaimer on, on all of the maps and all of the information that that the network is putting out, especially regionally. Um, nothing replaces boots on the ground and time spent in the field to know what's happening. But the risk maps can give a, a nice general idea of what the trends are and what, <clears throat> excuse me, and what could be a problem in the future. So yeah, boots on the ground is very important. I cannot stress that enough. It kind of reminds me of, of I used to work in Ontario um, as an agronomist. And um, one of the things I had heard often enough was um, a, a, a soybean field that was low in potassium would have more insect pressure than a soybean field that was high in potassium. Um, more plant defense um, mechanisms were working rather than in, in, a, in a potassium deficient field. So in those scenarios, you may have um, regional lower pressure, but if all of the insects are headed towards that one field that, that maybe has less plant defenses, then there's kind of a, a contrast in, in what the re regionality feel of that insect pressure looks like versus that individual field. And maybe you can correct me um, whether that's a, a, a true statement. This is something that we um, potentially see, but it just kind of reminds me of, of that. I think in concept, you're exactly right. I don't know enough about soybeans to, to comment on uh, potassium deficiencies, but yeah, it's just, it's 
it can be very incredible the difference from one field to the next, even if they share a border or uh, a road or, or something like that. They can be right across the road from each other and, and be very different just depending on the the water retention or the soil type or how the field has been managed in the past. And insects can be very sensitive to some of those those differences. So yes, regionality and, and what's actually happening can be very different. This has been going on for 20 years um, and, and the pro- we, we've seen great progress in terms of, of the amount of information um, and the amount of data coming into this. So my question is, is what is this going to look like moving into the future? Do we have plans of, of growth or change or um, how, how are we, uh, how are we expecting to see this progress as we move forward? Well, I think we have a few different ideas of things we'd like to be able to do um, better or differently. Um, so I, I think the, the basics of the network, the fact that we're out collecting data across the prairies and having a historical record that we can use um, for annual predictions and for um, developing new models. I think that's very important. So uh, for as long as we can, we would definitely like to continue to monitor and collect the data that we do. Um, One of the things that we would really like to do um, is develop more forecasts. So right now we have a pretty good handle on how um, grasshopper populations late in the summer will affect populations the next year. Um, So the, the data that we put out between years is treated a lot like a forecast um, as much as it is about population distribution. It's also a fairly good indicator of what to expect the next year. Um, We'd like to have, and and we do the same with wheat midge, Um, we kind of treat that as a forecast and so if you're in an area of high risk or where there were high populations um, and not a lot of parasitism in 2019, then there's a pretty high risk for that same area in, in 2020, especially if it's wet in the spring. Um, So we do have these forecasts, but we really only have a lot of confidence in those forecasts for wheat midge and grasshoppers. So we're working right now to develop better forecasts for some of the other pests that we deal with in the network. Um, That involves collecting some more biological information, understanding what happens to their populations during the winter and things like that. Um, But that is something that we would definitely like to do is to maybe have a a wheat stem sawfly forecast in the next year or two um, and, and continue to build on our ability to forecast populations between years. Um, Of course, I already kind of touched on it. Uh, We're moving to a website format from the blog. Um, We started the blog in 2015, and it's uh, worked really well for us, but it it does have some limitations on the amount of information we can have on the blog all at the same time. There are data limitations. So we're trying, we're, we're moving to a website format, and then we're hoping to maybe develop some new tools videos of uh, protocols, for example, that uh, we can host there just to have more information available. I think those are kind of the two really big things that we're, we're looking at in the near future. It sounds like um, a decent amount of, of future potential for, for agronomists and producers in terms of, of increased value from this system. Yeah, we're, we're trying to be aware of uh, what works for people and what doesn't and uh, where we might uh, go to 
continue to be as, as useful as we can. So I've, I've heard that you, there might be some challenges moving forward into this next season in terms of land access um, and, and being able to collect some of this data. Is this, is this something that's, that's coming up this year? Yeah, land access is, is something that we are a little bit concerned about going into 2020. Um, in 2019, Saskatchewan, for example, enacted a new trespass law, which does uh, affect the ability of uh, all researchers, um, the researchers with the, the ministry, the researchers with Ag Canada. It affects our ability to collect samples. Um, so we're looking for growers to volunteer um, to contact us and say, hey, I've got uh, field peas on this quarter. Please feel free to go um, collect data on pea leaf weevil. Um, so that is uh, something that is a little bit different for us right now. I think Alberta is going to be looking at some future changes kind of along the same lines. Uh, so yeah, that could have an impact on our ability to collect a, a really strong data set across the prairies um, for some of the insect pests that we survey for. So, um, if I'm if I'm a producer listening to this, thinking you know I, I I want to help out, I want to you know provide my fields to help collect data. Um, who am I reaching out to? Where am I going to? Is there is there a website or something that I can I can go to, or should I call someone? So the in Saskatchewan, the Ministry of Agriculture has set up a, a website um, on so it's a page on their ministry website where growers can go to volunteer and sign up. So. Uh, if you're a grower in Saskatchewan, you can go to this site, indicate who you are, how we can get in touch with you, uh, where you're farming, what you might be farming in 2020. Um, and then we're going to be using that data to contact growers in the spring to get permission to access their property for a variety of different monitoring activities. Um, I don't have the uh, URL off the top of my head, Jeremy, but I can give it to you absolutely and we'll uh we'll, we'll put it in the show notes um somewhere that that producers can access it to to be able to to sign up for that and and help provide information because it sounds like something that's really beneficial to the industry as a whole so the more people we have um involved in and in providing that land access the better information i mean they individually would have but also um the farmers in their community and, and outside that community as well it sounds like yeah. Awesome. As a producer, how do I start receiving this information? Um, is there is there a website I can go to sign up for? Which website am I going to? Um, and how do I start receiving this information? Uh, great question. So right now, we our blog is live. And I would suggest if you'd like to start um, perusing it and getting some basic background information, definitely visit the blog. Um, it's very easy to find. On Google, you can just search for the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network blog, or the uh, URL is um, prairiepestmonitoring.blogspot.com. Um, once you're on the blog, there is a uh, subscription box, and so you can just enter your email address and follow the instructions, and then you'll be added to the list to, so that you'll receive uh, an email when the weekly update is ready to view and when anything else that we post on the main page is available. As we move to the website format, we will probably be asking people to resubscribe just because 
that can help us manage our mailing list and make sure that everything is up to date. And when, when we're ready to make the transition from the website to the, or from the blog to the website, uh, that will be definitely something that we communicate very clearly to all of our current uh, users and to any of our future subscribers as well. Wonderful. So when does the weekly update start up again? Our weekly updates usually start about the first week in May, but we do have a few things that get posted kind of over the winter. Um, for example, the, the annual maps will be posted soon and, and subscribers would get a notice when those are posted on the blog. Um, but yes, weekly updates start in May as do Insect of the Week updates and those will go through to about the last week in August. Wonderful. Well, I again, thank you for for taking the time to chat with me today. I'm sure producers will find a lot of value in this conversation and hopefully uh, we get a lot more people signing up for the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network. I'm sure we will. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we, uh, we take off? Well, I guess uh, thanks again, Jeremy, for the opportunity to chat with you about the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network today. Um, I am on Twitter. Uh, Van Bugsky is kind of Dr. Van Bugsky, I guess, is my, my Twitter handle. I'm not very active on Twitter on the off-season, um, but if people want to follow me that way, they can and try to post updates there as well or tweet out kind of things that are going on, what we're seeing in the field when we're out on survey. Um, if anyone has questions or concerns or interest, uh, I'm pretty easy to get in touch with, pretty easy to find online anymore. <laughs> so people are welcome to do that and definitely check out the blog and keep an eye out for the website. So thanks. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you, Megan. I do appreciate the time and uh, stay warm out there. Thanks, Jeremy. You too. <laughs> All right, everyone, thank you for listening to the Growing Point podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, take a second, rate and review it, and share it with all of your friends. Uh, this really helps us grow and it helps us get our message out. Um, you can also sign up for the Growing Point newsletter by going to Alberta Wheat or albertabarley.com and sign up on our mailing list. Uh, that's the Growing Point mailing list. It's all agronomy all the time. Um, so go in there and check it out. Articles, interviews, newsletters, um, just a great resource. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.